better be good. I'm in a bad mood. Well, sir, if I could just take a minute or two of your very valuable time to show you a little something I've been working on for the past two or three years. You know, for kids. Hey, kids. It's me, your good pal, Jenna Ipcar. Now, did you folks know that we have a Patreon? That's right. Notes from the Back Row is running on hopes, dreams, and donations from people like you. Join now and receive a variety of fun perks from early episode access to an end-of-year swag box. Learn more at back-row.com. Just click on Patreon at the bottom of the page. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the show. Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row. A podcast like no other. Different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. This episode of Notes from the Back Row is brought to you by Patreons Nathaniel Zorak, Crystal Lowe, and Mika Mononen. Hello and welcome to another episode of Notes from the Back Row. This is a Hoser Horror episode. My name, as always, is Dan Gorman, and I'm here with... Carlo, what's up? Carlo. And And before we get into the... uh, And Paul! (laughs) (laughs) Where'd you come from? (laughs) Uh, You may have heard Paul on our recent episode where we interviewed him about Canucksploitation.com, his website. He is back to talk about two movies, and thank you so much for doing this again. No problem. Yeah, I'm excited. If you would like to go to backdashrow.com, you can find our episodes there under podcast. You can also find other essays and articles such as Jenna's article called Psychomagic Therapy about Honey Boy, The Souvenir, and Pain and Glory. And there's also an episode of Notes from the Back Row by Veronica where she interviewed the director of Unintended. But for now, we're going to talk about Hoser Horror. And uh, this episode, Carlo has lovingly titled Murder by Death, (laughs) (laughs) which is going to be kind of about, uh, you know, things you might not expect in a movie murdering people. (laughs) Yeah, inanimate object death is how I like to think about it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Paul, you kind of had a hand in picking these movies, right? Yes, so was there any thoughts behind, you know, why? You know, no. I, I mean, I realized after that that they were kind of both kind of inanimate object death movies. But they're just, I don't know, they're just two movies that always kind of uh, stuck with me. They're obviously very kind of late tax shelter kind of films. Very schlocky, very high concept, um, but like a lot of fun. Both what, Murder, by, uh, uh, Murder by Phone maybe a little bit less fun, but um, I, I like <laughs> I like both these films. Yeah, yeah. I was I was wondering like last time when we asked you if there were any movies you wanted us to cover. Mm. Like, did you, I was wondering like did he specifically name these two because they're both like these tax shelter sharing the blame co-productions but i guess it was just kind of two movies you you like yeah it's just two movies that kind of stuck out to me i think you asked mm. me what what uh, some for some suggestions and i these were yeah. a couple that i that i uh, that you guys hadn't covered yet that uh, that i particularly enjoyed so i mm. thought they might might make a good uh, double pairing and i think they yeah, did yeah totally 
Mm. Cool. Let's start then with Murder by Phone from 1982. Science has created the ultimate instrument of death, your phone. By the year 2000, there will be 1.4 trillion phones in the world. You could send a thing like that down the line. Hey, are you weird or what? Sounds pretty off the wall to me. I mean, a telephone killing people. I've told you nothing but facts, Sam. A madman pushes a button and kills by phone. Would you answer murder by phone? This stars Richard Chamberlain, John Houseman, Sarah Botsford, and is directed by Michael Anderson. This is a American-Canadian science fiction slasher film, according to Wikipedia. And the synopsis is, a disgruntled phone company employee develops a device whereby those answering a phone can be murdered, and it's up to Nat Bridger to stop the killer. This was filmed in and around Kleinberg and Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Now... I had seen this movie, I think, maybe a year ago with Carlo. We watched it together. Oh, yeah, yeah. We did a stream. Through the magic of the internet. (laughs) Paul, when was maybe the first time this came onto your radar? Probably in the early 2000s. Um, It was just something that I had heard about and must have scored a VHS copy somehow. I don't really recall too much about the first time I saw it. But but it definitely, like, uh, some of the scenes definitely made an impression on me. (laughs) <laughs> um the the uh, specifically the phone kills are so kind of uh <laughs> elaborate and and wild that it's hard to f- forget them when i yeah. when i first saw this movie one of the things that kind of took me aside was i found that the you know the murders because it is called murder by phone and it is about a guy who basically plays these kind of crazy sounds over a phone to like make you you know get thrown across the room and like die really violently i kind of found the really kind of ridiculously comedic but also like kind of legitimately off-putting like the opening murder i was kind of like oh my god like took me a little Mm. bit I i just find it's very interesting that there's this weird line between funny and actually like unnerving in this movie that they kind of go back and forth or over. Yeah, I loved all the phone kills because they're like just as over the top as you want to expect from a movie called Murder by Phone. <laughs> you know, that's such a, a high concept thing to bring to a movie. And yeah, it, it definitely delivers on that from. <laughs> Yeah, and the the the, uh, the whodunit aspect maybe maybe doesn't deliver quite as strongly yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. the film's more elaborate set pieces. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's still it's still an interesting movie to me. Like I I still like uh, like it's not really a traditional slasher. You know, it's more no. like a um, it's almost like a, a police procedural or something. You know, the detective chasing down clues. Richard Chamberlain's character, the science teacher who. Um, <laughs> who just I don't know starts working with the police on this one. One of the other things I really like about this film is is just it, it you know it's such a Toronto film. There's just so much location work in this movie, and it's all very familiar to me. You know, that's the, these are all the kinds of places that I that I still go to every day. You know, I'm on the subway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I work in a building like the like the phone building down you know downtown. <laughs> yeah, there there's also kind of an element of like Jaws with a phone, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of scenes of people 
picking up phones and talking on phones and you never know if they're going to be picking up the wrong phone. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily have that suspension of disbelief. I kind of always have trouble when I watch Jaws, that suspension of disbelief. I'm always like, just don't go into the water. <laughs> but with this one, it's like, you never know. And, and like, it's not like everyone's been informed of these murder phone murders happening or anything which makes it a little bit more unpredictable, which definitely helped for the movie. So the director of this had also done Logan's Run. Yeah, yeah, I, I did some like research, or well, it's not really research on this Michael Anderson guy, and um, he's born in England, he, he winner of the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Directors Guild in, uh, of Canada. Oh. So he's just not just like any schmo. Yeah, you know? yeah, he, um, he did uh, Orca the Killer Whale, I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah, Orca, <laughs> Logan's Run, um, Around the ro- uh, World in 80 Days. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple of big ones. I really liked the, like what you said, like the Toronto aspect of it. There's just so much you know, location work in this movie um, and all those like office buildings and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely has a very much more specific sense of location compared to the other movie we'll be talking about. Yes. (laughs) Like you say, all the Toronto locations and and a lot of Canadian people in the cast as well, I believe. Yes. Um, I I mean, there's to me, there's three films right from around this exact same time that I always kind of lump together because they feel so similar, which is uh, Murder by Phone, phobia and deadly eyes they all just feel like very similar high concept uh horror films with lots of toronto location work and they're they're all kind of (laughs) cheesy and uh um, which is good yeah but but i and and i like all three of them i mean they're all they're all kind of like you you can't not you can't not like a film like this but uh um i do suspect that there was some uh scanners kind of influence on this yeah, film, you can you can kind of see on the cover, um, like the the North American cover, "Murder by Phone." Mm-hmm. Uh, also, apparently, this movie is called Bells in the yeah. UK, and it has a completely different poster. But another one that also feels very scanners inspired, like a guy picking up the phone and his head exploding. You know? Yeah, yeah. I I do think that there's a. It, I mean, the film is kind of similar to to the scanners in some way. It just doesn't really go there in terms of you know exploring this yeah. whole idea of technology. Yeah, it's not that ambitious. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's not it's not like the technology is so insidious. It's just like I don't know. It's just some guy who's like mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I find this movie to be really fun. I think I might like it more than the other movie we're going to talk about. But we'll get to that. But I mm-hmm. I I do think that it ends up feeling a little bit too long. I think mm-hmm. a lot of movies like this have that. But I I do think that like I said, all those murder scenes I think are yeah. really genuinely cool and there's intense and intense and but still goofy (laughs) yeah and like people in this movie when they pick up the phone like they get rocketed across the room there's like light there's like green lightning and shit like it's it's not just yeah the phones melt um it's it isn't just like a, a goofy thing it's i mean it's like that's what i mean about this thing i'm trying to get at like it's funny that it's a phone but like the way that those are executed Mm. are actually really well done (laughs) so i think what i mean this is this is a clear kind of example of one of those like late tax shelter era films where they had kind of a you know um not canadian director who who would come in and they'd have a big american star in this case 
Richard Chamberlain, and uh, I was reading some background about the film, and apparently, so he, Richard Chamberlain had been in the TV miniseries Shogun, and when Shogun was appearing on, like when they were actually playing it on TV the first time, the miniseries, he was actually in Toronto um, shooting this, so the whole idea was that he was going to be a huge you know, he was his star was on the rise because of Shogun, and he was getting like interviewed in the in the newspaper all the time because they because he was you know down the street they could talk to him. Um, <laughs> the producers even said, "Yeah, we took a chance on Richard Chamberlain because you know he because of Shogun. That was that's the reason he's in the film. So it's it's just kind of like one of those. I, I mean, the film I, I couldn't find any reviews of this film, but I'm assuming that it wasn't <laughs> were not positive. There's there's one that was on the Wikipedia and, and elsewhere from Leonard Malton where he said like the direction and the cast is is of legitimate talent, but the movie is just like a, a hoary horror exercise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I found it a little bit hard to find like information whatsoever about this movie. Like, <laughs> like I said before, it's called Bells in the UK, and that's seemingly the only IMDb trivia for that movie, <laughs> which is a little bit weird. <laughs> I also read at one point they wanted to call it The Calling, which is also a good title. <laughs> okay. A good title, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that title. <laughs> I do know that the Canadian Film Development Corporation is listed as a production yeah. company mm-hmm. with the participation of famous players. And then I guess an uncredited company, Coco Films, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe was just the, like the name they made up for this movie. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's, it's just perfect example of that. You know, when, when people started kind of railing against these tax shelter films in 81, 82, they were probably talking about films like Murder by Phone, which, you know, it's a schlocky horror film it's got a, a mm. Amer- american a lot of american talent with canadians kind of pushed in the back and it's and it's a just very high concept horror film would ne- would never get near an art house but I, I i mean i like those kind of films but yeah but it was yeah. It's definitely the kind of film that that kind of led to the end of the tax shelters one other thing i found on imdb though uh, was that this was filmed in 80 but the film's release date is 82 like mm. was this movie like held back for some reason is there anything you know about Paul? Oh, you know what? I, I I did actually read something about this. Apparently, Roger Corman's company picked it up for distribution. New oh. New World picked it up. Yeah. But and there was a quote from Roger Corman saying, you know, a lot of Canadian films are not the quality of them is not good enough. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't touch these things. Oh my God. Okay. Ruth. Ruth. <laughs> Roger Corman too good for Canadian genre films. But, yeah, yeah, him of all guys. And that was kind of like when he was announcing he was going to be working with Raphael Zelinsky on things like Screwballs and all that, which are okay. obviously much of much higher quality. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's highbrow cinema. Yeah, right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy because Murder by Phone. I like this movie. I think it's solid. Like, I, I think it's crazy that somebody would say that about this level of movie. Yeah. Yeah. This movie of all schlocky movies. I mean, yeah. this, this isn't that bad. No. Come on. <laughs> like, Screwballs. I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't seen Screwballs, but yeah, I, I know of it. You gotta. <laughs> yeah. Eventually. I gotta it's, watch all the Balls movies. It's no oddballs. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. It is. It is. For what yeah. it is. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts about Murder by Phone then, I guess? Uh, I was kind of like mixed feeling about this movie. I really like the intensity and the goofiness of the kills. But then, like the whole um, like gumshoe narrative, felt a little bit dry for my likes. Okay. But other than that, yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty okay. Did this movie try and make it out like it wasn't uh, in Canada or? Um, 
I don't think they say one way or the other specifically, yeah. but it's all okay. like obvious, yeah. like Toronto locations. So okay. I figure, yeah, they're, they're not really trying to hide it. Yeah, I, I mean, personally, I, I, I mostly agree with Carlo. Like some of the, the sleuthing scenes are not that good, but there's there's just so many interesting scenes here that really, you know, always stay in my memory. When I was watching it again, I was like, oh, yeah, that the scene where he goes um, where he's trying to find out about the phone in the subway that, that yeah. killed the girl. Yeah, that's a good scene. That's a good scene. The phone company won't tell him who the repairman was, so he goes down himself, cuts the wire with bolt cutters on, on the payphone, and sits there with a newspaper until the guy shows up and then s- strikes up a conversation with him. It's just such a <laughs> strange, weird, funny scene. Or the bag lady who like yeah. gets the money and buys lipstick and yeah. puts on the yeah. There's just so many like memorable little bits to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I guess maybe, you know, a lot of the film does feel kind of forgettable to me, but scenes like that. And of course the kills and, um, even the final scene, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to spoil it or not, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> the final image there, I mean, there's just, there's yeah, just yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot to, to keep you entertained, but yeah, it, it is overlong. It is overlong. Yeah. <laughs> that, that final, like, uh, still it's, that's, uh, I'm also not going to say what it is, but it's, it's a good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Okay, so let's get in the time machine and go back two years from 1982 to 1980 to talk about Death Ship. For your next vacation, we'd like to recommend an ocean voyage with a difference. The crew is unavailable. The entertainment is unbelievable. And the entire passage is unbearable. This is a Death Ship, and all those aboard are better off dead. Death Ship, your holiday in hell. Starring George Kennedy, Richard Crenna, Nick Mancuso, and Sally Ann Hose. This is directed by Alvin Rakoff, who also did 1979's City on Fire. And this film has a synopsis of survivors of a tragic shipping collision are rescued by a mysterious black ship which appears out of the fog little do they realize that ship is actually a nazi torture ship which has sailed the seas for years luring unsuspecting sailors aboard and killing them off one by one (laughs) as carlo mentioned before another co-production british canadian co-production uh, it was shot in Alabama, in Quebec City. It was shot mostly on sea. Yeah, Gulf of Mexico. Mexico, yeah. Yeah, it, <laughs> because of that, it kind of lacks like the regional quality that we all love because it's set in the middle of the ocean and there's no yeah. specificness to that. Um, and as for the cast as well, like there's enough like moderately known people, like you said, Richard Crown and George Kennedy. Um, George Kennedy even name drops Toronto at one point. Yeah, uh, I noticed. Um, but yeah, other than that, not too much uh, Cana- Canadian identity to that ship that I noticed anyway. Yeah, I I read somewhere that Alvin Rakoff this was his only horror movie, but yeah, he does have two other movies that are you know quote unquote horror movies: Three Dangerous Ladies and Miss Ashworth. I don't know if they are horror or not, but yes. I, I, I've, so that's, uh, I think it's Mrs. Amworth. Yeah. So there was supposed to be this anthology TV series called Tales Dark and Deadly or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he made an episode of that in the UK and it's kind of a vampire Twilight zone Well, I guess more mm-hmm. like uh, Night Gallery would be a better comparison. So it was kind of like a Night Gallery episode, 30 minutes long. They made, I think, six of them total. They never released the, the series and never made mm-hmm. it. So they basically repackaged the, uh, 
episodes into th- two different anthology films. Okay. It, it's in one of those, and you can also view it as a short film. Okay, yeah. Three Dangerous Ladies, yeah. Yeah, Three Dangerous Ladies, that's right. It's, it's kind of like a vampire story. So, I, okay. I mean, it isn't like overt horror. It's more kind of like a gothic-y thing about an old woman who's a gardener and she's also a secret vampire and it's okay. it's kind of a whimsical thing so um <laughs> but yeah i mean he was a he, rakoff was a was born in toronto and uh left left in the early 1950s to go to the uk to make um uh, films and tv because there was very little happening at the time in canada and once the tax shelter started he he kind of came back because i think he okay. wanted to work in toronto but he he didn't really like doing these films he said mm-hmm. um you know he didn't like you know he was doing shakespeare in, on the bbc <laughs> okay and then yeah, yeah. and then it's like yeah you're going from you know richard the third to city on fire um, <laughs> he was not, he was not particularly happy about it but um <laughs> But I like uh, City on Fire. I'm kind of lukewarm on him, but I do I do like Death Ship a lot. Yeah, I my first experience with Death Ship was, and again, we've kind of touched upon this a little bit in our interview episode, I think. But th- there was a, t- a period on the internet where I was going to a lot of B movie websites, BadMovies.org, and Cold Fusion Video, and all these places. And I feel like Death Ship was one of those movies that people just decided they were going to pick on and this mm. is the worst movie ever, you know? And I, that was kind of my first experience of it was like renting it or something. And I, I think I rented this like way back in high school and just, you know, didn't have much to think about it, but probably because I was basing it off of all these people saying it's the worst movie they've ever seen. Yeah. 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 I was also a little bit surprised. Like I think Paul in your Leatherbox review, you mentioned that it was like considered one of the worst movies upon release yeah and like it's not that hard to put that in perspective like i wasn't in love with this movie but i didn't think it was terrible or anything like not even close but you know most of these movies people consider to be the worst always kind of take me by surprise because like the general public doesn't really indulge in b movies or worse even so it always feels a little uninformed to make those kind of like hyperbolic claims like worst movie ever Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. That's 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 not what this movie is. Not not even close. Jesus, I mean, have you seen Night of the Dribbler? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think it's just the, like the 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 conceit of it is so outlandish that I that I think people you know critics had a, at the time uh, had a hard time with it. You know, it's yeah. it's so um, intentionally it's it's just so schlocky. I, I read a couple of reviews uh, from the time, and they were really not generous reviews <laughs> one of the reviews at the time kind of made a point of saying how it was it was treating nazism as kind of like a joke like it wasn't wasn't serious enough about fascism so I, <laughs> okay <laughs> so but I, I i really disagree with that i i don't know i i think the film is really like displays the horror of fascism in such a kind of um tangible way like yeah yeah i mean the movie's intentions feel genuine in that sense the one scene where they, you know, I, I, I mean, I think everybody who's, it's kind of interesting watching it m- many, some, multiple times as I have, because uh, obviously, you know, immediately, like they're on the Nazi ship, right? Yeah. Like, like as soon as they, as soon as they climb up the ladder, you're like, oh, here comes the Nazis. And but they spend so long <laughs> getting there, you know, yeah, like yeah. they're walking around the ship like, oh, this is a great room. Oh, what's, <laughs> what's, what's over here? Wow. Wow. Cool. Hey, did you hear that German announcement over there? Oh, yeah. That was weird. And then suddenly it's like they stumble in that room and it's just like nazi you know um swastikas everywhere and um but that scene where he where they find the uh where, where the film is playing 
on the wall and and uh, Richard Crenna like grabs the projector and like throws it into the wall and the other guy's ripping down the screen and it and, and it won't stop playing and all mm. that kind of stuff and and of course when he falls into the thing of bodies the the net oh, of yeah. bodies That's like pretty like, gross yeah. yeah i mean it's not it's not a film that is ever uh scary in the sense of like it's a haunted haunted ship kind of movie but it's just uneasy yeah exactly yeah it has this like eerie vibe to it like foreboding and like yeah yeah just like really like like insidious evil kind of really and and it's never it's never scary it just like feels like dirty you know like the footage of the boat basically running itself yeah um, <laughs> like lots of like eerie industrial interior shots as well yeah. like that like they added to the whole like isolated atmosphere like uh, i felt like you know one of the things that i got from this movie i got the sense that it was maybe and and i don't have anything to back this up i'm just making it up but it feels like it they have this kind of like like make do with what we have kind of filmmaking attitude because it mm -hmm. is you know we have a really big ship we have a, a cast of characters you know the stuff that is like maybe special effects we've taken from other movies <laughs> and um there, there is this sense of we have to try and make this better than it maybe needs to be because there is like a kind of kineticism to some of the handheld footage they mm -hmm. yep. there's a lot of that like we, we've got all this footage of you know the boat how are we going to use it there's a lot of that like floating around the boat or like we're going to have these shots of the gears but the whoever's operating the camera is you know trying to like zoom in and out and pull around <laughs> and and so there is like a, this this element of yeah like we we have to make do with what we have but also improve it's obviously all on a budget but they tried yeah they tried to make a movie i mean <laughs> it's not a joke to them <laughs> yeah and i like that i like that i i definitely enjoyed it more maybe when it was I liked the stuff with the boat, you know, like dunking the guy in the water and trying to drown him. <laughs> like, I really liked that. Like, the boat is the murderer. It's going to be yeah. a slasher movie where it is the boat and maybe less when it became... The Nazi stuff? Well, not even that it's the Nazi stuff, but I, I was less interested when it became a possession thing. Hmm. Yeah. But that gives George Kennedy a, you know a real role to start chewing on. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about this film is his performance. Like it's just so against any other kind of character that I've ever seen him play. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I've seen, <laughs> you've seen him in so many movies, but oh, yeah. he, he never gets a chance to be like the evil guy yeah. who's running around with a, sh with a gun shooting people like and, <laughs> and acting insane like um he just brings a lot to that role and and uh is he's a lot of fun to watch i find just because he's playing against type so fiercely yeah I, the thing about this movie that threw me off a little was like the whole structure of the movie like it starts off and the boat sinks like the boat that like the passenger boat where everyone's on at the start it's it, like it all evolves really quickly like 50 minutes and uh, the boat has sunk and they're on the death ship and shit starts going wrong i'm like oh okay this movie is in a hurry uh, to get to the actual death ship and then shit is going to go down but but anyway once they get there it kind of turns into a haunted house slow burn yeah more off um and I wasn't kind of expecting that. It was kind of like a reverse whiplash for me. <laughs> also not really clear what the boat's intentions were. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> saying, the, I'm saying the boat as if the boat's doing it all, but it's obviously Nazi ghosts. <laughs> um, but yeah, at first it, it seems to want them off the boat. They, it doesn't want them on the boat. So like trying to like um, throw <laughs> them off. But then once they're on the boat, 
they aren't able to leave. So it's <laughs> like, what's going on here? Like, uh, I mean, not that that stuff needs to make sense, but yeah, I just thought it was a little funny. It, it it is fairly vague about how like what the connection is between like what or like what yeah what you said what the most intentions are what's mm-hmm. the connection between the possession is it the is it the Nazi ghosts who run the boat is it the boat <laughs> who is like the boats possessing him or like because he keeps saying the boat needs blood yeah 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 the, the ship needs blood and all this kind of stuff so it's never really yeah it's not very clear about um, how it all actually works but I but I. Uh, and that was actually a criticism I read in um, uh, one of the reviews of, of the t- at the time. Yeah. But I don't know. To me, it doesn't really matter too much. Like, like it's still scary. Like it, it, it's like, well, yeah, he's like a you know, you're looking at George Kennedy, and clearly he's possessed, and you're like, yeah, it's, you know, he's a he's like a not a, a kind of an extension of the ship now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that you know the the way that the sh- they keep focusing on the, the the churning gears and all that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it it just still works. You know, I guess it's kind of like you put yourself in the in the shoes of the people who of the survivors, mm-hmm. right? Like if this was happening to me, I, I wouldn't necessarily be like, okay, hold on, guys, what's the logic here? Yeah. Like 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 George Kennedy is shooting at me and, and the <laughs> and the crane's trying to dunk my head in the water. And I'm like, how do I break this down? <laughs> like it's evil. Where's the, where's the rowboat? Yeah, you know? yeah, and I liked that to a certain degree because you know i think that plays in with what you we were talking about earlier about like how the movie is using nazis or whatever and it it is just basically saying this this boat is so evil because of all these incredibly evil things that have happened on it and that's all the explanation that you know the movie needs to give you because because of how pure that evil was it was just so awful yeah i mean like what what kind of answers do you want yeah really (laughs) in in any movie i mean yeah yeah (laughs) just give me a a crazy blood shower yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) yeah yeah i think for me where where i maybe like this less than murder by phone is you know maybe it was because i watched it really late at night but again like i definitely felt the running time it was a little it dragged on for me a little bit but it does pick up you know near the end and and some of that stuff is really effective like when we mentioned you know he falls into the pit of you know the water yeah. and then it it, it kind of raises up the you know the rope beneath him and it's yeah. just piles and piles of dead bodies that performance and how they'd use the slow-mo in that scene is like incredibly off-putting i was like holy mm. shit yeah so, and, and the, yeah. when, when he, he finds all the bodies in the kind of the hold yeah, as well yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dead Man's Party. <laughs> you know, like I said, it's it's not a really it's not a scary film, but it's a film that just feels weird. I also like um, the, the the kind of um, editing effect that they use, where they're kind of like uh, foreshadowing some of the um, things that happen later. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, these little cool, flashes yeah. of scary images that are coming later that yeah kind of help build that kind of like you know this ship is evil even if you even if it's the first time you've seen it and you don't know the the, the reveal that it's going to be this nazi boat um you, you you get this sense that it's just like you know uh, horrors have happened here and uh from what i read that this movie was scripted by jack hill yeah yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. so so what happened there was uh what i read was that apparently that so it was it was a studio in hollywood um that went belly up and they had mm-hmm. all these proper these scripts and ideas and properties that they had 
bought and uh, they kind of you know went out of business and had a bit of a fire sale so these so Harold Greenberger who's the head of Astral um, and Sandy Frank they'd done some who's a US producer they'd done some work together I think they did Neptune Factor and some other things um, they just they bought this script this idea uh, that Jack Hill had written so I, I brought it up to Canada and I think had some other people rewrite and work on this work on the idea so that's how yeah Jack Hill got involved but I think there's like seven credited writers on this or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's one of and those it's one of those yeah. films <laughs> yeah too many cooks <laughs> where, where they bring a new person on they're like no 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 let me just redo this whole thing yeah but I think it works like I, I you know as, as you said there's it's not very precise about about the details of what mm-hmm. goes on but I you, you know but I like to I, I like the film it's a film that is always uh, uh, stuck with me and you know i i do like haunted ship movies and there's just like not not there's not enough of them like there's yeah. hardly uh you know there's only a handful i can think of that are that are any good at all yeah yeah i saw this um not too long ago like late 60s japanese one called the living skeleton oh um, yeah yeah I've seen but that. the yeah the japanese title is actually called like blood-sucking skull boat <laughs> which is far more descriptive and terrible and awesome um, yeah yeah that's a really good one your mileage of death ship may vary but i do think it it's admirable in its attempt to you know create the mood i think that mm-hmm. those reviews in the past are, are maybe selling it a little bit short whether oh, yeah. or not you like the movie or not you know like i didn't like it as much as you know, um murder by phone but i had to admire that they were really going for something outside of just being schlock like mm-hmm. like it really is trying to be a moody movie and have that kind of like atmosphere that is you know that creeping dread atmosphere it's not a movie yeah. that just cranks everything up to 11 and and i admired it for that for sure yeah i agree on that especially like the atmosphere about movies i thought the soundtrack for both movies was actually pretty good as well um John Barry, who did the one for Murder by Phone, uh, used like mostly synthesizers for Murder by Phone, even though that wasn't really like his MO. And this one as well for that trip, like uh, like it just added to the whole foreboding, brooding vibe. Uh, yeah, totally. Any other last thoughts then about Death Ship? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm on both movies. They're maybe a little too end of the 70s, start of the 80s horror for me. Um, a little bit slow and dry at certain points, but there were also points where I was pretty into it. I don't have a whole lot to say about both of these movies. I'm, I'm not sure if I would like give them a hard recommend or whatever but if you want to see these movies go ahead. I'm not going to yeah. stop you. That, that's, <laughs> that's what I always say about any movie. Yeah. I mean... I think they're both interesting in different ways and some more successful than others. But for me, I think I would have to recommend Murder by Phone just because it feels more Canadian if we're talking mm-hmm. about like the hoser horror aspect of it. Um, but I would say that Death Ship is worth looking into. And I think, you know, I think I gave it like two stars, but I do think it's a movie that gets more flack than it deserves like completely yeah, agreed agreed yeah I, I i mean these are these are both films that for me just hit that that kind of tax shelter sweet spot i i, I just i love films with you know I, I do like inanimate object killer the mangler and, uh, <laughs> and the lift and and oh, films yeah, yeah. like that and these films obviously fall into that but i also love films with like adult characters living adult lives you know not um you know well i like well i enjoy slashers obviously sometimes <laughs> sometimes the teenagerness of of it can can feel kind of like uh, pandering you know and and it's nice to have uh, it's nice to see horror films with like 
old characters like George Kennedy or, um, you know, guys who are science teachers or, you know, Saul Rubinek who dies early in the ship being the, like the comedian. And like, it's just, it's just, so, it's just refreshing for me to see these, these, uh, these adult characters tackling these situations and, and, and these absurd, totally absurd situations that kind of just like, you know, brush the edge of campiness. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I don't know it, it's, uh, um, I love both these films because they're both, um, very Canadian, well, definitely and definitely Murder by Phone, as Dan said, more so than Death Ship, but uh, just really enjoyable films. But I yeah. can't, I, I would not, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with your criticisms of them as well. They are <laughs> slow in spots. Um, and, uh, but I don't know, for me, that's the tax shelter era, you know, yeah, that's, that's I, what it's about. And I know what you mean about this, these two movies sitting alongside Deadly Eyes, because mm-hmm. they definitely have that feel to it. And Deadly Eyes is a good one, too. <laughs> yes, yeah. I've seen like a couple other killer rat movies, but I haven't gotten to the Deadly Eyes yet. Yeah, we did Food of the Gods too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's also uh, Rats Night of Terror, yeah. um, the Italian one. Awesome. So that's the episode then. Thank you for coming back, Paul, and, and talking about these movies with us. No problem. Yeah. Do you want to plug anything? Um, well, I guess I guess the one thing that I didn't talk about last time that I, um, that I probably should have was uh, Peanut Butter Solution is uh, coming out. Oh, yeah. From Severin, isn't it? Probably about the time this episode is going to be out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, so I and uh, there's a feature out on it where I talk about Quebec Canadian kids programming and, oh, cool. uh, and Tales for All and some of the other things that were happening in, in uh, Canadian kids movies at the time so yeah be on the lookout for that i guess go buy that um are you still doing your videos for rue morgue's youtube channel Uh, i haven't done any more i think i talked about doing spasms last time so it hasn't come out but um, i know that that is is uh forthcoming for sure yeah check those out if you haven't seen them they're really great i know you did one for playgirl killer yeah playgirl killer and yeah. Splatter, Architects of Fear. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got. I have to see both of those films. So they're they're both interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> Ringing endorsement. It's good. Um, well, it's like it's like I I pick tend to I try to pick films for that for those that have an interesting backstory as well mm-hmm. because uh, oftentimes it's just kind of like the the film itself is maybe um, less interesting than yeah. the uh, yeah, yeah, situations yeah. which pr- produced it. So. <laughs> okay otherwise you can find us at backdashrow.com you can find me on letterboxd at yckmd underscore carlo you are carlo goes boom carlo goes boom twitter and yes letterboxd. um yep. and otherwise we will uh have another episode soon of hoster horror thank you for listening and goodbye This podcast is a presentation of Backdashroad.com, co-founded by Veronica Delginko and Jenna Ipkar. Hoser Horror is produced and co-hosted by Carlo Vansvout and Dan Gorman.